Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. How is everyone doing? It's January, and here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's that part of winter that George Harrison would call the doldrums, which is just a great word. Many of us are dealing with some seasonal depression and needing to find some extra light where we can. I'm finding small moments of joy in burning candles, moving my body, even if it's just a yoga video on YouTube that I abandoned 15 minutes in, and cooking warm, cozy comfort food. I'll include a meditation for seasonal depression as a bonus companion to this episode. I hope it helps you find a little extra spark of light in the darkness. I have a favor to ask. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment now to subscribe, rate, and review us if you haven't already. Just a quick five stars and a sentence that's the equivalent of a thumbs up emoji is plenty generous. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. I'm so happy to be doing this work, and I'm so grateful to those of you who keep showing up and spreading the word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have an amazing guest today, Raven Robbins. Raven is an occult teacher and spiritual guide, tarot reader, magical craftsperson, and co-owner of the fabulous Athame Metaphysical Shop and Educational Salon here in Nashville. Raven moves through the world as someone with deep wisdom to share, and she's definitely a bit of a shapeshifter, always reinventing herself with a wink and keeping those of us who admire her on our toes. Her energy reminds me of one of my favorite artists and spiritual seekers, David Bowie. So I'll be doing a little tribute for him today. I've loved his work at a surface level since I can remember, but have maintained this sort of gnawing fascination with him as a person that has been unfolding for some years now. I recently stumbled upon a collection of stories of Bowie appearing to fans in their dreams in those shocking and grief-filled weeks after his death, encouraging them to be creative and experimental in ways that felt very personal and touching. I learned that David Bowie carried a special fascination with his dreams with him through his early years of life, the exploration of which became a catalyst not only for much of his writing and creative projects, but also his lifelong interest in esoteric spirituality. The mysterious occult references abound in his body of work, particularly on albums like 1971's Hunky Dory, 
my personal favorite. While his exploration was eventually tainted by drug-induced psychosis, he later would come to call cocaine a, quote, spiritual destroyer. He maintained his spiritual seeking throughout his life and a belief in Gnosticism, or transcendence reached by looking into yourself to find a personal religious experience. For him, magic was a form of self-actualization. He saw dreams as much more interesting than the conscious waking life and felt that all the powerful parts of himself that were not always accessible could be channeled into his songwriting and artistry by tracking them in dreams. Later, this would evolve into what at the time was his highly avant-garde experimentation with alter egos, such as Ziggy Stardust, which he continually referred to as their own autonomous figures as he spoke about them throughout his life. He viewed these characters as vehicles within which he could experiment and work with his shadow aspects, externalizing the parts of himself that he had a hard time accepting. His experimentation with gender and sexual fluidity paved the way for a generation of young people who were finally being given encouragement from their heroes that it was okay to be themselves and to be different. He was always a lover and connoisseur of the arts and was powerfully influenced by the surrealist work of artists like Salvador Dali. Borrowing from these artists' techniques would lead him into experimentation in bibliomancy, using William Burroughs' cut-up technique, in which random bits of found literature were cut and repositioned like a verbal collage to make an entirely new piece of work. Again, he has documented using this technique heavily on Hunky Dory, This inspired me to use a few special texts of my own to create a poem using the cut-up technique, which I'll read for you during this episode's mid-segment break. I like to think Bowie would appreciate this endeavor. Will Brooker, author and professor of film and cultural studies at Kingston University, who impersonated Bowie for months as part of the process of writing his book, Why Bowie Matters, recalls a dream he had of Bowie the night before he passed away. Quote, It was David Bowie in the early 1970s, very young and beautiful and pale, with Ziggy Stardust red hair, wearing a knitted jumpsuit. And I was standing with him above this empty theater, and he was saying, When you no longer shock and interest the people below, the audience, It's time to move on and find something new. I suppose it does seem symbolic. David Bowie looking down at the people below saying, it's time for me to move on. Unquote. This message echoes the inspiration that has been offered to fans in their dreams. To keep creating. Keep pushing the envelope to have faith in your creativity, and if you fail, keep going. Bowie was never the best technical singer or musician or actor when he was first starting out, but he became an artistic figure greater than the sum of these technical parts because he refused to stop making and remaking himself. This is the human calling. Creativity and imagination are our magic and our birthright. Now, 
on to my interview with Raven Robbins. All right, Raven, welcome to Psyche Magic. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Yay. So Raven, y'all, is just such a shining light, like such a beacon for me here in Nashville. Raven was one of the first kind of occult metaphysical teachers and leaders that I was able to find here in town. And she's made a huge difference in my life. So I just wanted to call that out that Raven, I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful that you're here. Well, thank you so much. That means so much to me. I, I, I have not gotten a lot of feedback like that. And that's like lit me up. <laughs> good, you. good. Because it's the truth. Yeah. Thank you very much. You are an absolute gift and I, I'm really grateful to know you as well. So it's, it's Aww. lovely. Thanks, Raven. So Raven actually is the co-founder of this incredible metaphysical shop and basically just educational salon here in Nashville, to use that fabulous word that I love. It's called Athame. And so we're going to talk more about kind of Raven's work and what she does and just all that good stuff. But in the tradition of this podcast, we are going to pull a tarot card first to get us started. And Raven is actually a very talented tarot reader. So it was funny. I asked her like, do you want to do the pull? Like, do you want to pull? And she was like, no, I want you to pull one for me. So I'm going to do that. And I'm excited. Yeah. I never get readings from other people. So kind of perfect. So we're going to just create the intention that this will be a card that is just a message of guidance for this conversation, what will feel useful, what will feel helpful and resonant for us and also for the listeners. So let's see what comes up. Okay. Ooh, interesting. I haven't pulled this card yet on this show. Okay. So we got the two of pentacles. Oh my God. (laughs) Raven's having a reaction. Raven, what's, what's happening for you? So I am in a slow down and receive in order to better balance my life kind of moment right now. Mm -hmm. So this is really, really good. Yeah. I'm very, very excited. I love that. So for the listeners, in case you're not familiar with the card, this is a card where there's a man and he's wearing almost kind of like a jester-like outfit. I'll have Raven kind of talk about this as well, but he's definitely in like a very kind of fancy red garb with like this big red hat. And he's holding two pentacles, so the coins in each hand, and there's an infinity symbol wrapped around these two coins. So he's kind of teetering and he's holding the two coins. And then in the background, there is a very sort of turbulent, ocean with ships that are kind of waving and wobbling in the same gesture that he's making. So that's the two of pentacles. Yeah. Yeah. So Raven, what else comes up for you about this card? So I mentioned kind of slowing down in order to receive whenever this card comes up for me in readings or for myself or with clients, I like to think about the fact that we can only control so much. We really have to kind of ride out the storm and sort of allow ourselves to be uncomfortable in order to kind of regain balance. Yeah. Very similar to me in energetically to the hanged one or the hanged man, which is a card that I relate to really, really big. Yes. So it's sort of like leaning into the discomfort of the process in order to regain your footing mm-hmm. on ships. You know, you can't just stay in one place. You kind of have to move with the process. And yeah. So for me, a lot of it is about kind of 
being willing to be flexible and receptive and kind of open um, energetically to that. Mm-hmm. I love too that there's both water and grounding in this card. Yes, that's true. So you've got your pentacles, right? Yeah. Earth stability, stabilization, and you're actively engaging with that process. And in the background, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like water, emotional mm-hmm. sensitivity and kind of being fluid. So yeah, it's it's definitely a conscious subconscious kind of card in my mind. I know, which is my favorite kind. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know. I, the other thing that I'll say about this, because a couple of things come up for me. One is just that infinity symbol. Like whenever I see that on one of these cards, it always makes me really pay attention. Like it just has a lot of like resonance for me. So when I see that, I think about change being the only constant. That is just kind of what stands out for me and how that's just a truth of life. And then also just his outfit, like just the fact that he's in this like very cheeky little like garb. I don't know. To me, it makes me think of play and the importance of play. Like I hear a lot of people talk about this card in terms of like work and balance and schedule and all of these things. But I also think that it's about being able to balance in play and enjoyment and pleasure. So yeah. You mentioned the infinity symbol, the mention and strength. Yeah. Kind of like, yes. Good. Okay, cool. So we'll see as we chat, as we get into more of the subconscious realm, we'll see what other kind of little messages this card has for us. So cool. Okay, Raven. So let's dive in. We're going to talk a little bit about dream stuff. We're going to talk about a dream that you mentioned that has felt very significant for you. And then we're just going to see where the conversation goes. It'll probably lead us in all kinds of interesting directions, knowing us. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's dive in. Um, tell us about your dream. Okay. So the one that really stuck out to me when you hit me up for this process mm-hmm. is a dream that I had probably, God, like two and a half years ago. I was deep in the middle of my sort of metaphysical renaissance. Like I've been a practitioner my whole life, but I was really like in the peak of it. And I was also in the process of kind of reigniting my relationship to therapy and mm-hmm. trying to kind of recalibrate, which a lot of this is already two of pedagogy. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Recalibrate. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I guess I can kind of go ahead and like dive into the flow of the dream and then we can kind of break it. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So the way that I recall it now, uh, cause I really generally don't have very great dream recall, which is unfortunate in my circumstances, but yeah. I remember kind of coming to in this very kind of Lord of the Ringsy kind of uh, forest with lots of like Ooh. big trees and things are very dark and mysterious. And I realized very quickly that there was uh, a group of people behind me and I was walking forward and I was kind of cutting a path through these trees. And I was actively very, very like busily trying to like get through this, but also trying to remember that I had people with me. So it was sort of this idea of like, I can't lead well if I'm not aware of what I'm doing. Right. So I had to be very, very careful about every action I was taking, not, you know, not tripping on branches, not getting caught up and trying to cut a path for myself and all of these other people. And it was kind of like a long stream of people. So I was going through these trees and all of a sudden I get to a place where I could see kind of a clearing and I could feel this like rush and I want to run, but I know I want to be careful because they've all got to follow me. Right. So I'm kind of cutting, 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 and I get through and I finally break through the trees and there's this clearing and it's sort of Alpine-esque. It turns from one very strong Mm. bio 
sphere to another very quickly. You're like darkness into Definitely. this like open space. So there's this wall of, of mountains on either side, kind of fjord-esque. If, if this were water, that would make visually more sense, but it's a clearing. Yeah. And so we open out into this clearing and all of a sudden the light is like so, so bright. And I've got like more room to breathe, literally, right? Like, so all of a sudden my lungs are very, very full and I'm open and okay, it's good. I got them through. And then I see uh, like in the air above me, this like bird of prey, like flowing in circles, right? Like kind of like circling me. And I realized that the bird is like lowering and like, it's getting like closer and closer to us. And so I keep kind of walking and we're kind of still walking. And all of a sudden this thing is like coming at me. And so all of a sudden it's like diving down into me and I have to catch this thing. Right. And so all of a sudden I realized, Oh my God, this is, this is like a hawk, like a big, big, big hawk. And it starts like flying down at me and I have to lean down and I catch it. And it, I collapse to the ground and I catch this hawk and I can't tell if it's wounded or if it's like, you know, just trying to get my attention. And then I look at this thing and we make eye contact. I'm like, okay, I'm like holding a bird of prey. And I look up and I'm surrounded by all the people that we were, that I was like leading out of the forest and they're smiling at me and they're excited for me. Everything's beautiful. And then I like slam awake. And it was such an intense like flow from one process to another, but I had a lot of feelings about it the next morning. I immediately like, you know, typed it out on my phone and yeah. put it in my head. And then I realized later I didn't really need to, cause it's, <laughs> it's definitely still in there. That is like a word of encouragement that I want to give you and lots of other people who have trouble remembering their dreams is that when these big dreams come along and when spirit is like, no, I want you to see this, they're going to make sure that you do like, it's going to stay the symbols of that dream alone. Like those are just incredibly powerful symbols. Now I know that you have associations and ideas, but tell me a little bit, break down for me kind of what some of these things might symbolize for you, especially like the hawk, the forest, the, like the opening, the light, like what do those things kind of mean for you? Yeah. So I, I kind of, at the time tried to let it kind of integrate at its own pace. I was trying not to kind of like eat it alive a little bit. Smart. No, smart. Yeah. I appreciate that because it definitely was a lot to take in at the same time, all at once. Yes. Um, So for me, I guess the big three would definitely be the hawk, which is, I said bird of prey, but I feel like it's almost like it was kind of not hunting me, but like looking out for me. So there was this idea of something kind of that would be dangerous or have its own sort of intentions, putting those aside in order to protect me. and but also like needing my attention immediately. Right. So like it, it, it sought me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost kind of going against its nature in a way mm-hmm. like, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. It was like, I need that one immediately. Right. Like kind of sought me from above and Hawks are really in my childhood. were really, really associated with my grandfather who he and I have this strange spiritual connection. Okay. He's actually on my altar behind me mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. But um, he would volunteer with raptor groups. And like one time I remember he brought home a a hawk in a bag that hadn't hit by a car. And the only thing he had to get it up off the ground was a bag and we ended up burying it in the backyard. So to me, like hawks are like definitely um, familiar kind of energy. Yes. So the second 
sort of symbol for me, for sure. You mentioned like from darkness into light, this idea of like having to constantly trudge and constantly kind of work for something. And then this feeling of relief. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that right now I'm in kind of a, a stasis of like not pushing and not trying to make things happen, just kind of aligning things and making sure that they come to me at their own pace. Okay. And okay. I feel like that feeling of like opening out into the sun is that same sort of energetic spot for me now where it's like trudge, but then align and then allow. Mm. And then I guess for the third symbol, it would definitely be the, the line of people behind me. Yes, I am a cut and run kind of person. I'm not good with family. I'm not good with community. I'm not good with connection. I get very, very nervous when people rely on me. Okay, But at the same time, I want to be a teacher and a leader and, and allow for people to kind of ask questions of me. And it's this dichotomy, Yes, this feeling of like, a lot of people call it imposter syndrome, but I feel like it's this complex sort of function in my brain where I can't allow myself to just enjoy what I'm good at and like let it happen. I feel very weighted down by familial expectations and sort of mm-hmm. the the traumas of the past. And again, part of my work is just kind of like clearing that out. The word that was coming to my mind when you were talking was obligation, like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. versus something that's chosen and aligned and like, yeah. Yeah. I felt like I was kind of put in that position. Like you're the one who can get us through this. Like let's let's go. But then once I kind of allowed things to happen and relaxed into the discomfort and kind of let the literally the thing fall from the sky into my lap, there was pride and sort of the feeling of like you can do this. You can kind of accomplish what you set your mind to. I guess you don't have to feel like it is an obligation. You're permitted to do this thing. Okay. You're not permitted to do it, and you don't have to do it alone. Mm. Like you have guidance. Absolutely. Yeah. That hits really hard. Cause I, I am very much a bit of a lone wolf <laughs> when it comes to things. I feel like I have to kind of uh, quarantine myself away from things to get things done, mm-hmm. but you know, we're not a self-filling vessel. We have to kind of allow for other people and other energies to kind of refill us. Yes. You said something to me one time that was really resonated with me. We were talking because I had had one of my first mediumistic experiences and I had no idea what to make of it. I was terrified. And I sat with Raven and Raven, you told me that energetically we have to remember to function as a vessel and not a cup. Like we don't have to hold all of this like energy and all of this expectation and all of these hopes and all of these measures for healing, like we can just let it flow through us through spirit and let it pass through us and not have to be the one to, to like hold on to all of it or provide all of it. And so that was just coming to mind when you were talking just now. Thank you. I remember that conversation really, really vividly. I think it was a message for both of us when I said it for sure. (laughs) Me too. And just like we were saying before, it sticks for a reason. Like it sticks because it's supposed to, and we can trust that. Okay. I'm curious about something with your dreams. So I'm curious about the symbol of the people. Were these just random people? Were they people that you recognize? Were they faceless people? Like how did they appear to you? Um, if I recall, it seemed like a collective of people, both familiar and unfamiliar. Interesting. And it wasn't necessarily my family, which I think was a great comfort for me at the time. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I was about to go back into therapy. I'm about to do the same again now. Oh yeah. And oh my God, you know what? 
that just places this in time because this was definitely pre-COVID. Oh, wow. Before the fall. I know. Truly. Yeah, it must have been probably... January or February. Oh, wow. Synchronicities. Um, I know. I know. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really weird. I hadn't thought of it that way. But I think at the time, it was definitely not familial obligation. It was sort of a collective of people that were like from around that I, some I knew very well and some I didn't know at all, but still felt comfortable. Yeah. I guess it was like all of a like mind, essentially. That's interesting. Like representative maybe of like a certain like community. Mm, Right. Right. And it was definitely a group that I still felt as though I needed to protect, Mm. that I needed to kind of guide through this sort of unknown place. Oh my God. I'm so glad we're doing this because things are coming out of it for sure. Good Raven. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely this feeling of it's overwhelming to do it, but I want to, I want to lead them. I want to kind of engage with them and they kind of show them that Mm -hmm. even difficult things can be processed Mm -hmm. with a little bit of labor and a little bit of love, you know? Mm. So yeah, I definitely, there were some faces, but at the time I definitely, they were more like um, polymorphic. They kind of shifted. That's interesting. Well, and then the other thing I'm wondering about is because another way that I've known you and worked with you is through some of your classes with Lyceum Umbra, with Athame, where you are just teaching about sort of spiritual concepts and spiritual Mm -hmm. knowledge and just all things kind of witchy history. But I wonder when this dream unfolded in the context of like where you were with your class prep, you know what I mean? Like, was that around the same time? Had you birthed the idea yet of those classes? Like, I don't think that it was conscious yet, which I guess interesting right on topic, but I don't think it was conscious yet that I was really, really ready. Mm-hmm. I think it was pre self-acceptance that I was capable of this sort of topic. Oh, that makes this sense. This sort of leadership. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely beautiful. Cause I really do think that it was like prior to, I have to go back and look. I think it was like 142 weeks ago or something. Mm-hmm. Like I looked at it cause I posted on Instagram. Oh, that's stream. cool. It was like, prior to me being like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to step into this role of teacher and leader. Yeah. Ah, ah, okay. Yeah. I think you're definitely hitting something there. (laughs) I, I, mm, I love that. That feels good. Mm -hmm. I know. I kind of got like some chills like that's that's (laughs) Cool. The program is being reformed and it's actually going to start from a place of tarot focus. So really it's all very, (laughs) that's fascinating. So even though you kind of had this first round of getting into these different subjects, and I know that it's probably really daunting because there's just so much that you could talk about, but I mean, there is something to be said for being able to kind of narrow your focus a little bit. And let's be real. Tarot contains all of the symbols and all of the conversations that we could possibly have. Like it's, it's got it all. Yeah. Yeah. It really does help to do readings for people and to kind of dive in the way that you did at the beginning of this session to kind of look at all the things you see in the card, kind of look at everything and kind of find the story within that one little snippet. But I feel like with runes, it's very difficult. Sure. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like even though I'm drawn to those sort of different practices personally, I feel like with tarot, there's still so much work that needs to be done Mm -hmm. that can be done to kind of build a relationship and build a, a, a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. I find that tarot is 
and I'm sure that this relates to the way that you deal with it too. It's kind of um, the language that both you and your guides. Yes, because it's the language of symbol. And mm. that's also the language that our dreams are speaking Absolutely. because they're able to hold all these different meanings within one beautiful symbol. Like it's just, yeah. it's a multifaceted language. Absolutely. It really, it couldn't be any clearer. I mean, whenever you're trying to connect with source, divinity, God, angels, whatever it is that you feel drawn to esoterically, um, you have to find some way that you both can communicate. And I feel yes. like this sort of channeled gift that we were given and that we've collectively kind of been compounding its energy for a couple about 150 years now yeah. here in the West. And we've just been kind of like pushing and pushing and pushing and making sure that it, it gets packed with all of our energy. And the more we use it, the more it helps us. I think I agree. It's, I completely agree. It's a really important part of how I communicate with spirit on a, just on a regular basis, how I receive messages. It's become essential to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I, when I first met you, that was absolutely not the case. I thought I was still in the place. I think a lot of people begin, which is that, Oh, tarot is something that's not accessible to me. Right. And that's how a lot of people are introduced to spirituality in general. I can't I can't access this. I have to get this from someone else. I have to get this from a religion or a priest or a pastor. (laughs) Right. And so that is what ends up becoming traumatic for a lot of people spiritually is that I'm put in this position of power where I can't access this. I have to be told what to do. And so I think that tarot can inadvertently be like that too. Well, I have to go see a reader. Like I, I can't use this myself. And I encourage everyone that that is not the case. Like pick up a deck of cards, start using them, just pull one card, see what comes up for you. It's valid. Absolutely. I like to think that if you are being called to tarot, that is your permission to purchase a deck or to find a deck. I agree. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, misconception about how, you know, there's these myths that like your first deck needs to be given to you as a gift. And I think that that's a beautiful concept, but I think it's very gatekeepy in a negative, unintentional way. I agree. And I think that if you are, if you're feeling like really curious about it and you want to get to know it, just you have your own permission. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Go for it. Empower yourself. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This reading is a medley from five special texts, each segment randomly chosen via bibliomancy, compiled using Bowie and Burroughs' cut-up technique. The texts will be listed in show notes. No, there is not more beauty here than elsewhere, and all these objects which generation after generation have continued to admire, which inexpert hands have mended and restored. They mean nothing, are nothing, and have no heart and no value. But there was a great deal of beauty here, because there is beauty everywhere. The Hera woman considers her wedding day the most significant in her life. On that day, she acquires a new name. She never keeps her own name. She considers it strictly her maiden name. She now becomes the wife, which fulfills a drive she has felt as long as she can remember. 
Furthermore, we have not even to risk the adventure alone. For the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path, and where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find a god. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outward, we will come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we will be with all the world. All the world is taken in through the eye to reach the soul where it becomes more representative of a realm deeper than appearances, a realm ideal and sublime, the deep stillness that is, whose whole proclamation is the silence and the lack of material instance in which, patiently and radiantly, the universe exists. Emerson would not turn from the world which was domestic and social and collective and required action. Neither would he swerve from that unperturbable inner radiance, mystical, forming no rational word but drenched with passionate and untranslatable song. A man should want to be domestic, sturdy, moral, politic, reasonable. He should want also to be subsumed, whirled, to know himself as dust in the fingers of the wind. This was his supple, unshakable faith. Creativity is a shape-changer. One moment it takes this form, the next that. It is like a dazzling spirit who appears to us all, yet it's hard to describe, for no one agrees on what they saw in that brilliant flash. Are the wielding of pigments in canvas, or paint chips and wallpaper, evidence of its existence? How about pen and paper, flower borders on the garden path, building a university? Yes, yes. Ironing a collar well, cooking up a revolution? Yes. Touching with love the leaves of a plant, pulling down the big deal, tying off the loom, finding one's voice, loving someone well, Yes. Catching the hot body of the newborn, raising a child to adulthood, helping raise a nation from its knees. Yes. Tending to a marriage like the orchard it is, digging for psychic gold, finding the shapely word, sewing a blue curtain. All are of the creative life. All these things are from the wild women, the Rio Abajo Rio, 
the river beneath the river, which flows and flows into our lives. Are there any other kind of like a dream themes or subjects that feel important to you? Like, have there been symbols that have kind of occurred like throughout your life? Is there anything else that you want to say about that? I feel like we covered your one dream pretty well, but. Like I said, kind of at the beginning, I don't have really solid dream recall. I feel like it comes through when it's very, very, very specific. Yes. And it's, it's almost like um, I sleep in the static between radio stations Yes, and then all of a sudden something will click and there's like voices and people are talking and things are very full color. And so I kind of have resigned myself to dreams being a tool that I don't work with yeah. super, super strongly, but they come at me when I need them. Exactly. I kind of envy people who have like this very active dream life. And we mentioned the symbolism of, of tarot and things like that. Like dreams can be so revealing about the self and that can kind of consistently kind of keep your themes pushing. And as far as I know, whenever you're dreaming, your body is integrating memory, right? Like yes. It's, it's memory in place sort of consolidating yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's 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 like a defrag on a hard drive <laughs> like it's yeah it's cleaning things up and to kind of think that I I carry so much trauma and so many things that I'm working through on a day-to-day basis I wonder that like as I work through those things if my mind would become more eased and more relaxed and get deeper sleep and like get that REM cycle that is necessary in order to access dreams so I'm very excited to see like what kind of happens That's interesting, Raven, because that does make sense. What we know, you know, empirically, scientifically, is that trauma absolutely impacts our hippocampus, which is the part of the brain that stores our working memory and the part of the brain that has to get accessed if we're going to actually recall our dreams. There are theories that, you know, more sort of like esoteric theories that the dream is working on us, whether or not we remember it or not which I think is cool. But in order to use it as a tool, we do need that hippocampus to be able to strengthen and come back online. And trauma treatment can absolutely help with that. So I will be curious to see how that unfolds for you, how that correlates. It totally makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. That's part of the work that I'm kind of diving into right now is like finding ways to, as I said earlier, release yes. control and kind of ease into things and allow for more space, both internally and externally, for sure. Yes. So yeah, not not too many recurring symbols. There's a lot of feelings of being lost and vaguely familiar spaces mm-hmm. and then finding my way and frustrations mm-hmm. with family stuff. And it's all definitely related to things that I need to work in to my daily life and kind of integrate. Like it, like emotional themes that make yeah. sense and that, yeah, that you can trace back to like what's going on in, in your waking life and your emotional life. Yeah. I definitely think that for those who have a very active dream life, it, I envy it, but I also think that like, I'm grateful that they have that. Cause I think that like some people have the ability to process things in the daytime and some people have need to kind of be in a quiet, like stasis in order for things to kind of happen. Good point. Yeah. So for me, I need to be consciously aware that everything's happening. I, I, don't, I don't like that the, feels safer. Yeah. The anesthetist sort of feeling of like not being numbed out. It's not something I'm, I'm super into. <laughs> yep. I'm with you. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. 
something that I would love to ask you about that you said earlier. So I would love, I actually realized that I haven't sort of broached this on this podcast yet. And I feel like you could be a great person to have this conversation. So talk to me about sort of claiming the title of witch and like what that means for you, because I... I think that that's a word that gets, you know, thrown around a lot and we hear it a lot. But for my listeners who are kind of witch curious, hearing from someone who's really claimed that title that is like very important to them, means a lot to them. I would love for you to just talk about that a little bit and how you got there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I would love to do that. Cool. Cool. Okay. I think that in our culture right now, I thought for a while that I was maybe living in an echo chamber, but I'm beginning to think mm-hmm. that's actually not, that it is actually kind of a, a thing that is happening. Um, there's a, a paradigm shift a little bit. I'm like you said, I'm seeing people who are witch curious, yes, open to esoteric practices. And yes, I definitely think that one of the first solidifying things you can do is to not put a label on your practice, but Mm. solidify and set the intention that you are not just curious, you are conscious of what you're doing. So Mm. by like pulling in and sort of identifying with the concept of witch, Mm -hmm. which is the word is so uncomfortable for people who Uh, it, it can be, can be right. Like we we're currently in the South, but if you go back 20 years ago, it was not, it was not okay to call yourself that. Even if you were, yeah. even, even if you were kind of out in the world in some ways, you still had to kind of keep things close to the chest and kind of in the broom closet, as they say. Yes. I remember being in middle school and people calling me a witch and me not really knowing what that meant, but I know that it meant that they were uncomfortable with him. It's bad. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. The sort of othering. And I think for oh, that's a good word for it, Raven. Yeah, othering, othering. Yes. Yeah, it's it's sort of separating, right? And so for me, just taking that thing that used to be uncomfortable and bringing it in and integrating it and saying like, I own that title, and now I'm going yes. to find it for myself. It helped me to set the intention that I really did want to learn and grow and activate with community and engage and learn more than anything, learn. For me, a lot of what witchcraft is and metaphysics are is education. And I think mm-hmm. that that's funny because a lot of people start out on this sort of witch curious path and they, they get overwhelmed. You mentioned mm-hmm. earlier with tarot, like that's, I got to go to somebody else. I can't learn that myself. Yes. 70 something cards and it's too much. Blah. And I think like, once you realize that like, it's a constant process, like take the label, set the intention, but be ready for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, it was just me finally like coming out of that broom closet, so to speak and saying like, no, that's, that's what I am. I am. I identify as a witch. I'm taking this thing that used to be thrown at me as a, not to deride it as a slur, but like something that was meant to feel like a slur, Mm -hmm. sort of an othering and saying like, no, that's, that's okay. You know, like it's almost demystifying or unocculting something that is considered a cult and and rationalizing it for the self in order to, to integrate it. Yeah. Yes. That makes sense. Oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot that I would like to say about that. So when we're talking about that othering that happens, the first thing that came to mind for me was because 
I, while I am absolutely witch curious and I'm someone who um, sort of dabbles in kind of witchy practices, like working with the different moon cycles, right? Like working with the full moon and about what I want to release during that time, working with the new moon and like what seeds I'm planting in my, in my life and my spirituality. I wouldn't say that I've sort of claimed that title. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I feel like I'm in that kind of unfolding process right now of just like exploring and looking at all of these things. Like you said, educating myself, going down these different rabbit holes, learning about this kind of self-guided spiritual path, which is new for me. Um, You know, I was raised in, in a like fundamentalist Christian religion where there's only one right way to be. And you have to look in this direction to do that. And if you look in any other direction, that's bad, that's evil, that's wrong. So obviously there's been a lot of deconstruction for me, but when you spoke about the kind of othering and the re-empowerment of like reclaiming that which is othered, that which is shadowed, that which is rejected, it reminded me of my journey of coming out as queer because queer is another, uh, you know, title that is, is about being othered and rejected and you're wrong, you're bad, that's evil, that's, you know, not right. And so sort of reclaiming that word and saying, actually, this is what makes me, me like, this is, this is beautiful. I think those two things are so, again, I, it, maybe it's the echo chamber I happen to reside in, but I think that those two things are so intrinsically conscientious of one another. And in mm-hmm. some ways they are linked together, sort of queer identification and sort of feeling as though you are from outside. Yes. And then allowing yourself the permission to just be that. Yes, exactly. All of the anxiety and the, and the sort of the questioning that comes with it, because there's so many, there's so many other questions to ask. If you can answer yes to at least one of them, it clears up space for all of these other things. You said rabbit hole. And I got this image of <laughs> Jungian shadow integration. You have to go down into, right? Like there's this image of like digging into the earth, yeah, following a path that's already been preset by someone else, but it's not easy to access, but you have to kind of go there anyway. And you have to kind of dig into it. And I love that we're having this conversation now and in, in the winter time too, because I think mm. there's something to be said about like the ground is hard but it's not impenetrable. The The work mm-hmm. is difficult, but it's not unattainable. And the knowledge is, is vast, but it can be experienced, right? You have to kind of allow yourself to make room within yourself. And so, yeah, for people who are witch curious, yourself included, everybody, I think that there are other words too that sometimes can fill the way that yes. it does. And you don't necessarily have to take witch if it's not for yeah. you, like, I love when people identify as spiritual because I think that that at least gets you in the position where you are open to connection to something higher than yourself. And you're Mm. open to kind of feeling, (laughs) maybe it's all the MDMA I've taken in my life, but like feeling connected to the other and kind of vibing with all of the world. Feeling the interconnection between all living things. Like that's been a big part of my kind of spiritual deconstruction and reconstruction is not this separate thing. Mm. It's spirituality is the divinity within all of us, all living things. Oh, for sure. I read this incredible article about how, and not to disparage those who are still in the Christian process, (laughs) you know, but the, the Christian religion, the, the Christian God 
as, as though it can, it can sometimes be really, really beautiful and really, really empowering for people. But the deification of something above us mm-hmm. removes us from our relationship to earth. And there's a lot of indication and there's some really, really fun kind of theories floating out there that like the environmental impacts of things that are going on right now and the climate change that's happening is directly correlated to our yeah. disconnection from earth. Fundamentalist Christians say that like the point of being here is not to stay here forever. It's to go down. Yeah. And so what matters, but nothing here matters. It's the fall. It's Adam and Eve in the garden and she ate from the tree of knowledge. And that means that we are damned, that we are lesser, that we are eternally, you know, sinful, spotted, not clean. Right. And that getting to this other place is the only way to get, to be okay, to be saved. Yeah. So like, why does it matter that you throw your trash out of your car window? Like, why does it matter when you bucket. Yeah. Like start your car in the, in the winter time outside and like wait for it to warm up before you go out there. Like this is all temporary. This is all a process to get us back to God. And so exactly. Yeah. To kind of link back to queerdom and, and witchcraft. I think oh yeah. Definitely a link between environmentalists and you know, there's absolutely this disconnection from the most, in my mind, the most natural thing in the world. Like I've had more connection to the Christian religion, like being outside and like seeing that like the whole world is a church, this whole thing yes, is a gift, right? Yes. Maybe it's sort of a, a Catholic kind of way of looking at things, you know? I know what you mean. Yeah. God made this, right? Like we're whoever yes. made this and we get mm-hmm. to have it and we get to use it. We might as well appreciate it. Right. Yeah. That was a big turning point for me was coming to see the earth as holy. Yeah. Although I'm like, I knew that as a kid. Like, yeah, it's I, I absolutely knew that yeah. as a child, like I had reverence for the earth and the grass and the dirt yeah. and the trees. I like, watching trees get cut down and like, yeah, your childhood, your body. Fern gully, man, like fern gully. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Your, your child body knows. Right. And so I, I think of, I guess to kind of like put a little bow on the whole reclaiming of which mm-hmm. for me, it was all it was, was remembering was just going back to the way that I felt as a kid and like remembering that feeling of that smell after rain and like that Uh, feeling of like, that is the cleanest thing in the world. And all I want is mm -hmm. to experience that level of like clarity, that ozone feeling of just like, it's just, it's pure and it exists and it's there. And then acknowledging that it is, it's not for me, but we have to work in tandem. Yeah. A lot of remembering. That is so, so beautiful. I need to just like bask in that for a second. Like that it's about remembering. Yeah. I mean, people, people feel it too. I mean, people who don't even know that they're another way to view things and people who consider themselves atheistic or agnostic or who who are just sort of here because it's temporal. They could talk about like hiking a mountain and how like that feeling when you get to the top where you're like, I'm integrated with this process. I've I'm oh, so, like, I'm so in tune. Yeah. No. That is spiritual. It is. Yeah. And it can be that simple. It can be that beautiful and that simple. I agree. I really, a lot of my work is kind of shifting 
you know, because when you first get licensed as a therapist, there's a lot of emphasis on sort of, you know, research-based methods of therapy, evidence-based practices, right? It's like, what are we doing? How am I working with the cognitions and the, you know, it's like this kind of sterilization of like all of these like words of messy human experience and trying to make it into these neat little paradigms of how to, how to work with things. And so a lot of what's happening for me is that I'm shifting more into this like cultivation of spirituality and spiritual experiences as therapy. Mm. Like, like I, yeah. I really think that that is what helps people get better more than any kind of like mental shift that they could make. I think that a spiritual shift is what needs, needs to happen. So. Yeah. I think that that is beautiful. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're finally embracing that. Cause I, I remember that that felt like what I wanted to say to you in that conversation ages ago, I wanted to be like, there's something here for you. And I could feel yeah. You mentioned too that like it can look different for everybody, right? So yeah, people can kind of come to their in my mind, it's like they can kind of come to their therapist in the way that people drifted towards gurus in, you know, India. Mm-hmm. Like you find the person who speaks the language that you speak, and then you you mm-hmm. together integrate your processes and you kind of that's an important word. This is a mutual process. This is not like a hierarchical thing where I'm teaching you what you need to know. No, no, no. Like we're exploring together. Yeah. And I hope that your clients can find you that need you because that's exactly what, that's what I wish I had 25 years ago. You know, when I was starting this process of like trauma response and going through the things that I was cleaning up and figuring out why I behave the way that I do, I gravitated towards spirituality and it's helped me on my own, but like some people could use a little bit of a fast track <laughs> where they're exactly. like, I'm just exhausted and I need help and I don't know where to go. And then exactly, like, I've got these resources and yes. let's have a conversation. So, yes. You don't have to do this alone. Yeah. Like we can do this together. Yeah. You're supported. Yeah. I think that like people go to South America and they take ayahuasca, which mm-hmm. you and I could have a really long conversation about how absolutely incredibly important ayahuasca can be. Um, it's got a serotonin ring, the same as a couple of other wonderful mental help drugs, but yeah, people want a quick fix. And so they go yes. to find people who can purge them really quickly. Yes. West, we like that. And so we've taken this idea. Oh, that's, that's a shaman. I'm going to spend a lot of money and somebody's just going to fix me. Yep. Oh, that's what most people who come into my therapy room also just want that. Yeah. And I, and I don't blame them because it's, I don't either. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. You're, you're in pain. You want somebody to fix me. Yeah. You want someone to take the splinter out and, and sew it up and send you on your way. Right. But the problem is, is that the splinter is your spirit. (laughs) It is the whole thing. You can't have like one spiritual surgery and have it all fit. Yes. It's yeah. It's a long-term process. Well, and, and that learning and believing that I am not broken Mm. and that my system is responding a certain way for a reason. And that I can learn to understand and work with that instead of having this belief that I'm broken or that I'm flawed. Like that's often one of the big paradigm shifts where people can finally get on the path to healing is like letting go of that, that idea, I think. Yeah. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a hard work. And I think that it is, I applaud anyone who's willing to try to live. It takes bravery, a lot of bravery to, to try to do that work in a real way, like to try to put the time in that it takes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, like, it's amazing to me that people are willing to, you know, 
sort out a lot of cash for, for again, that for that quick mm-hmm. fix, but they get that fear response when they think I have to spend a hundred dollars once a week, every week to sit with this person in, in near silence and process these things slowly. Like they'd rather one lump sum. <laughs> I know. Just I know. Out of the way. Yeah. It is brave. I appreciate that. Yeah. They- I'm a, I mean, I will say that I also know that feeling intimately. Like it's not, I'm on the other side of that as well. Yeah. Like I'm entering a round of EMDR right now with my therapist. And like, there's a lot of fear about like, what's going to come up and what am I going to have to deal with that? I don't want to look at, like, it's really hard. Yeah. And I think that like, it's, it's lovely that you as a therapist acknowledge that it is a process for you as well. I remember when I was in college, one of my professors who was a, a psychologist by trade had kind of mm-hmm. stopped his practice and was just teaching. He said like, those of us who need the help gravitate towards being the help. Like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Like the wounded healer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm, There's so many Mm -hmm. archetypes that just Mm -hmm. pop up. I know about that. Yeah. The wounded Mm -hmm. healer, very Chiron. (laughs) Very. Yes. Yes. As someone with a lot of Scorpio eighth house, 12th house placements, like, oh yeah. Big time. I love that you're like, I'm, I don't identify, you know, with which yet I'm working to I know. like spout. I know. And then I just, and then I just speak all the language Well, because I didn't realize, like I had all these interests. Like I was really into crystals as a kid. And then I was like really into astrology. And then I got really into tarot and I didn't realize I was like, oh, these are all just under the like witchy, like umbrella. Mm-hmm. Like this is just like who I've always yeah. been. Cool. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. When you're a kid and you find a really cool rock, <laughs> you know, it's, it's. No, it's still like my favorite feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that it's, the, it goes back to that remembering everything's kind of tied together. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I think that like, like I said, I'm, I'm glad that you're coming into your form of therapy, your, your schema that you work from. Right. Like, cause it's, there's people for every person. Exactly. Because there are some clients who really just want to keep it pretty surface level and behavioral. And that is great, but that's just not the work that I do. That's not the work that I'm passionate about. And so I'm giving myself permission to refer people to someone who I think might be a better fit and to leave a little bit more space to of pentacles Mm -hmm. for people who can really speak my language with me. So that's like a goal I have for myself this year. That's lovely. I really, I really, really hope that your client just goes like your client. (laughs) I love that you you have that natural rabbit hole seeking, diving in kind of thing, and you're no longer turning it off. You're like, exactly. You're you're letting yourself be naturally drawn towards that dive. Mm -hmm. Because it's real. Yeah. Yield (laughs) yield shadow integration. (laughs) Yield shadow integration. I know we're both young lovers, and I feel like we could do a whole like episode about that as well you might have to come back on the podcast Raven might have to do a part two okay I feel like we've kind of thrown a rock into a pool and it like skipped a couple of times we've hit like some things and I'm like oh I would be really fun to talk about that really like oh I could dive a little deeper on that one I know I feel the same way so thanks for being down and I have a good feeling that we will uh we will do some more of this very soon. I'll find another cool dream to talk about. (laughs) Hell yeah, exactly. Well, so to wrap up, I would love for you to just talk a little bit about like where listeners can find you and engage with your work. How can they get involved with Athame if they're interested? So just talk a little bit about that. So I am still 
in the Instagram world. Yes. As of now. As of now. Yeah. Sometimes I wish that there was a way to kind of actually build connection without it, but I feel the same way. Yeah. I am on Instagram and my handle is very difficult. So I'm just going to actually send people to, to Athame, but it's A-T-H-A-M-E metaphysical M-E-T-A-P-H-Y-I-S-C-A-L. Yep. I hope I spelled that correctly. <laughs> I think I did. Um, if not, we all have spelled, yeah. spelled that <laughs> autocorrect. So don't worry. Metaphysical. Yeah. We're, we're my, my friend, Olivia and I, we started FMA and with the intention of kind of, like you said, building salons and having conversations and kind of building connection and, and being educators and out, outreach people. And so, yeah, I, I offer tarot readings. I offer kind of consultations for people who are on the first steps of the witchy path. We're going to be restarting Lyceum Umbra, which is our um, shadow academy. <laughs> oh, stop. You have the best names for everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed with Thank that. That's you. amazing. It's, I have five placements in Libra. It's all aesthetics. <laughs> um, you're, so, you're so good at it. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, so we're going to be starting up our schooling again. We were doing it online, but I really think with vaccinations and masks, we could potentially get in person again. I can't wait. We might do kind of a hybrid thing with people who are online and outside of Nashville and also potentially in Nashville. Cause I, I like the biofeedback feeling of like that person. Being I do too. Person. Yeah. So Athame Metaphysical is a great place to start. We haven't posted in a while. I'll probably just go ahead and do a post now that I've talked to you and kind of keep us updated, but yeah. And I am available for anybody who really is kind of curious about where to start. I, I love giving book recommendations and podcast recommendations and I do approach the occult and metaphysical practices from a sort of historiography slash scientific approach. Yes. 100%. Yeah. I want to try something and then try it again and try it again and try it again and see if there are consistent results. And so it's not for me something that has to be, we said it earlier, but it doesn't have to be separated from science. The two things can definitely intrinsically connect together. And I think, but we have to say it again and again, like we have to, we have to remind ourselves and each other that these things can be intertwined and that it's the most powerful that way. Yeah. Journaling, dream tracking, the way that you process things. I imagine going back and being able to see the the cycle is really, really important to the process. So yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Raven is just, she's just been such an incredible resource for me. So I absolutely encourage listeners to reach out. She's just such, yeah, such a, such a gift, such a guiding light. So thank you, Raven. You are awesome. I'm excited for how your practice blooms soon. So thank you. Thank (laughs) you so much. I can't wait to see you again in person. It's been a long time. It's going to be a sweet reunion. It'll be such a nice reunion. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Raven Robbins, for continually feeding my soul with your earnest encouragement and contagious curiosity. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. That's psychemagic with a C podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. 
I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, www.psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and feel free to leave us a review if you're so inclined. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time. <laughs>